Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the last two weekends of April 2023. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Apologies for missing last week's episode. As I noted in the very brief episode I had uh, two weeks ago, I started a new job recently, which has been taking a lot of my mental energy, which combined with being a little bit more physically exhausted each day due to allergies has left me with a little bandwidth to actually follow the box office news regularly. Uh, the past few weekends haven't been that exciting numbers-wise when I took a look at them, so I haven't felt too bad about it, but I'd still like to keep some semblance of regularity here with a couple of big non-number stories to take a look at. So this will be a little bit more of a a potpourri grab bag of sorts of different topics I wanted to cover. Of course, the biggest story is that as of uh, midnight uh, on two, midnight between Monday and Tuesday this this past week, this week, um, the Writers Guild of America has gone on strike after negotiations for the when the new contract expired on May first, and they were unable to come to an agreement with the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers, aka the big studios plus Netflix and Amazon. This is the first such strike that happened since the infamous November 20, 2007 through February two thousand eight writers' strike that lasted a hundred days. The estimated economic impact of that strike ranged from $1.5 billion to $2.1 billion, and the big result of the 2008 strikes was that the requirement that streaming and other quote-unquote new media uh, be guild-covered work with residuals of 1.2% for downloads and 2% for advertising. We also saw shifts during that time period while the strike was going on toward more reality TV shows, which some would argue led to The Apprentice staying on the air, which would then lead to the 45th president. Um, and many TV series ended up getting sword and seasons or outright canceled. And, you know, in a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, the internet-focused media that the WGA was striking to be included on went on the rise as Netflix surged with its video-on-demand platform during this time period. So what is this current strike about? Well, in a lot of ways, it's about the same thing. New media, though this time, most of the industry, instead of new media being a brand signing new things, is now the focus of many of the major studios with the, all of their streaming platforms. But, you know, with prestige television, you have, you know, that you see on these streaming televisions, instead of, you know, the typical, you know, 26 episodes per season that you'd get, um, now you're getting, you know, maybe 8 to 10 episodes per season, right? Um, you also see cases where, you know, you have uh, less time, fewer writer's rooms in order to complete a season, and fewer people in the season, so more work for the individual writers there, um, while also not being as not being paid more. Um, according to the WGDA, up to 98% of staff writers are employed at the minimum basic agreement for or so, up 12% from the 2013-2014 season. And then showrunners are at 49% uh, at minimum basic agreement, up 16% from 10 years ago. This is despite so budgets going up and inflation, of course, coming into play, making the real growth of, of salaries be basically flat, to not, if not negative. The other big issue goes back to residuals, as with the 2007-2008 stri strike. Before new media was still assigning the thing on the horizon, um, and most of the residuals people cared about were, you know, with DVDs. But now with more streaming media than ever before, um, writers are demanding that residual protection for their shows go up. I mean, we've covered how Warner Brothers and Paramount have been taking shows off of the air, so they won't have to play residuals as, as part of their, you know, tax breaks. Um, but you know, this 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 shifting media landscape has really turned writing. Hollywood into what is, amounts to a gig economy despite having a union. Also, you know, this isn't one of the major points that I've seen, but it still is mentioned there. I've seen mentioned the Guild wants the WGA member work to not be fed uh, to train a chat GPT like machine learning AI to generate scripts, which of course, you know, if the studios want to make things really cheap for themselves, just getting an AI to prompt, uh, a prompt, giving it a prompt and having it pump out a script would be their dream in terms of you know, saving on labor cost. 
Uh, in any case, with 98.4% of WGA members voting to approve a strike, uh, negotiate, when negotiators were unable to come to a deal in time, the guild went on strike. Um, to get a better sense of you know what the other demands of the guild are and kind of like what the uh, attempted offers from the uh, from the studios were, um, you know, there's a there's a list out from the WGA West. Um, Adam Conover, um, you know, the uh, stand-up comic and, and and writer and so on, uh, has has posted on his Twitter of what the demands are as well. Um, now, you know, where are we going from here? Well, it depends on how long the, the strike lasts. You know, late night TV is obviously the first affected, but this could very well lead to delayed suiting or production on upcoming films. Obviously, anything already filmed will be released, you know, probably on time. But, you know, those Marvel films that they're still workshopping endlessly may get delayed even more. You know, I'm not in the industry directly per se, but obviously my best wishes go out to everyone affected and hoping to come to a fair and just and quick resolution to the strike sooner rather than later. Uh, moving on from being on the side of the writers to being on the side of the studios, we have the latest development in the Disney versus Ron DeSantis power struggle over in Florida. I haven't covered all the nitty-gritty details here and there. Other places do it better, and frankly, this is much more impactful of the theme park business than their movie business per se. Still, it is a pretty notable uh, event when the appointed when after the appointed board by DeSantis elected to run this special taxation district the way they wanted to, voiding prior agreements Disney had passed. Um, Disney sued DeSantis within minutes. Seriously, if this one corporation in the world you don't want to get an illegal tussle with, it's probably the House of Mouse. Uh, moving on to the past week, we had a CinemaCon run by uh, NATO, not that NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners. This is the big industry event where studios show off movie theater owners that they can, what they can look forward to in the coming year. Some st- a lot of stuff we've seen before, some stuff we haven't. Uh, in any case, that's probably why you saw a lot of new trailers coming out in the last couple of weeks or so. Uh, starting with Sony, you know, going in order of, the, of when their presentations were over the week, no new projects were announced, but they had a lot to share. They had Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Craven the Hunter, which will be their first R-rated Spider-Man movie, Equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington, their Apple TV collab with Ridley Scott, Napoleon, uh, the upcoming Gran Turismo movie got its first trailer, we got the, just the details about the film, about the GameSpot incident called Dumb Money, rom-coms, Anybody But You and No Hard Feelings, action comedy The Machine, the next Insidious film, and messages from the sets of Bad Boys 4 uh, and Go Ghostbusters Afterlife sequels. Uh, for Warner Brothers Discovery presentation, David Zaslav took the stage uh, with the Barbie film, followed by the musical adaptation of Color Purple. Uh, Timothy Salome had a double feature with insights into Dune 2 and Wonka, followed by the more genre films of The Meg 2 and The Nun 2. Uh, ending with DC, they had the trailer for Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom, which had mixed reviews. Um, we already had, also had the already seen Blue Beetle, and of course, the world premiere at CinemaCon of The Flash, which had pretty decent reviews despite Ezra Miller's legal troubles. The next day, Disney took the morning with a look at the soon-to-be-released Guardians of the Galaxy and The Little Mermaid, uh, the 20th century film The Boogeyman, including a full screening for attendees, Pixar's Elemental, Indiana Jones, Haunted Mansion, a new look at the Kenneth Branagh Hercule Poirot film A Haunting in Venice, which has a more horror vibe to it, uh, The Marvels, a film by Rogue One writer-director Gareth Edwards starring De- John David Washington called The Crater, Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins debut trailer, and the first trailer for Wiss, their 100th anniversary animated film, which looks to be taking some cues stylistically from the Spider-Verse films. Following them, Universal came in the afternoon with a lot of big projects, you know, Fast X, Oppenheimer, Illuminations Next Animated Feature Migration, the new Exorcist movie, Kung Fu Panda 4, Deadpool 2's Dave, uh, David Lytek's The Fall Guy starring Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt, and a look at the John M. Chu Wicked film. 
On the last day of the con, Paramount took the stage in the morning uh, and probably had the most new announcements of the week. First, they announced that the new Mission Impossible film, Dead Reckoning Part 1, will release two days earlier, midweek on July 12th versus the 14th, as well as a new cl trailer and clip from the film. Uh, similar to Sony and Napoleon, Apple TV's Scorsese film, uh, film Killers of the Flower Moon got a new trailer and also new images. There was a lot, a lot of Transformers stuff. Uh, in addition to the new trailer for The Rise of the Beasts coming in this summer, we got the 2024 animated film Transformers 1. Uh, Rihanna was confirmed to be Smurfette in the upcoming Smurf movie in 2025, as well as being a producer and, of course, making an original song for it. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film in August got a new look, and then the new Avatar The Last Airbender movie, technically called The Last Airbender, which will focus on an adult Aang and Friends, will release October 10, 2025. We also got news about a new Spongebob, a new Paw Patrol movie, a new Bob Marley movie, and a new look at A Quiet Place Day 1, as well as another John Krasinski film called, uh, with, called If, uh, with a crazy cast including Ryan Reynolds, among others. Rounding out the week was Lionsgate, whose presentation was mostly anchored by the first trailer of the Hunger Games uh, uh, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes, getting its trailer, as well as a look and screening of the Adele Lim road trip comedy Joyride, coming later this year. Also, a couple of quick headlines. Uh, the Academy has confirmed their 96th Oscars celebration date will be on March 10th, 2024. Uh, the MonsterVerse sequel is set with Godzilla x Kong, The New Empire. Pixar's Elemental will close out the Cannes Film Festival. Disney settled their dispute with the ousted Marvel exec Victoria Alonso. Uh, NBCU CEO Jeffrey Sell has been uh, ousted after having an inappropriate workplace relationship. No successor has been named by Comcast. Uh, Final Destination 6 is in development. The Pope's Exorcist sequel is in development. And in New York it's also going to be increasing the state uh, fil the state incentive for filmmakers to $700 million to try and lure more productions to the state. Um, now, before we close out the show, uh, we have some numbers. Um, but before we get to that, Deadline also had the top 10 most valuable films of the year, uh, which they released over the course of last month. So I waited till that was all done before selling the full list now that it's complete. Not only does this look at box office numbers, but also looks at the sources of revenue they get uh, from those sources on you know secondary revenue, like you know licensing overseas or home media or rentals or whatnot, as well as you know the actual costs of you know participations as well as marketing and other such uh, costs. So going in reverse order, the, uh, for, in terms of total total profit, in number ten, uh, Paramount's Smile moved in from which originally was supposed to be a streaming film, moved to theatrical. Uh, luckily, they did because with a production cost of only seventeen million, uh, when you consider other costs bringing up to one hundred and seven, it made two seventeen million worldwide at the box office, which translates to ninety eight million for the studio. Add another one hundred and ten million for other revenue, you get two hundred and eight million uh, total revenue. So you're looking about a hundred and one million dollar profit or an ROI of nearly two x one point nine. 4X. No wonder the sequel is already in the works here. Number nine went to Thor: Love and Thunder, costing two fifty to make, uh, with total cost, uh, including marketing, being five forty seven million all told. Uh, Seven sixty point nine million was made in theaters. Um, three hundred fifty of that went to the studio, plus another three hundred for other revenue sources, leading to a six hundred fifty fifty six hundred fifty million total revenue, uh, or one hundred and three million profit, about one point one nine x return on investment. Uh, Number eight went to Puss in Boots. Uh, a $110 million budget led to a total cost of $319.8 million. Box office of $478.7 million worldwide led to about $210 for the theater, uh, for the theatrical take, uh, which, led, which plus $230 from other revenue is $440 million total for revenue, or $120.2 million profit, a 1.38x ROI. 
Uh, Warner Brothers Batman comes in number seven, the first non-day and date film from uh, Warner Brothers post Kilar. Uh, made for two hundred million dollars, its total cost was close to four fifty-eight million. It made seven hundred seventy point nine million at the box office, three fifty-five of which went to the studio. Adding another two hundred eighty million from other revenue, you get six thirty-five million total revenue or one seventy-seven million profit, a one point three nine x multiplier or return on investment. Number six went to Jurassic World Dominion, made for 185 million. Total costs were 520.3 million. Box office was over billion dollars, of which 430 went to the studio, mostly because a lot of that was overseas. Um, plus 320 million other revenue for a cool 750 million total revenue. Total profit was 229.7 million, or 1.44x ROI. Uh, number five went to Black Panther 2, costing $200 million to make, or $491 million all told. Worldwide, it made $859 million worldwide, $425 of which went back to Disney, adding another $325 million from other revenue streams, made $750 million total, or for $259 million profit, or 1.53x ROI. Uh, closing at number four is another Marvel film, Doctor Strange 2, costing $200 million to make and forced $96 million overall. It made about another $955.7 million worldwide, $440 million of which went to the studio, plus $340 million in other revenue. So it made about $780 million for a profit of $284 million or a 1.57x ROI. Uh, moving to the top three, Minions Rise of Gru came in with a $100 million production budget, coming in at $368 million all told in costs, making another uh, making $939.6 million worldwide, $420 million, $420 million of which went to the studio, another $330 million worldwide brought it total revenue to $750 million. The lower production cost here really helped as it made it $382 million in profit, or 2.04x return on investment, the highest of the top 10. Number two went to Top Gun Mavic, costing $177 million to make. $753.9 million was made in the box office, uh, or it was cost, uh, was the cost. So th- that the reason for that is $280 million of this actually was the participations for Tom Cruise. Now, this made nearly $1.493 million, so you know, $1.4 billion all worldwide, $700 million of which went to the studio. Its total revenue was uh, $1.145 million, $1.1 billion, after another $445 million other revenue. This led to a studio profit of $391.1 million, or 1.52x return on investment. And of course, number one, if you can't guess it, is Avatar Way of Water. Sir, it cost $400 million to make and another $300 million participations for James Cameron, meaning the total expenses were a million dollars for the studio. That said, it made $2.3 billion at the box office. Uh, no, sorry, $1 billion cost of the studio, $2.3 billion cost uh, at the box office, uh, you know, $1.26 went to the studio, plus $350 million worldwide for, you know, $1.6 uh, uh, billion revenue. So about $531.7 million in profit a respectable 1.5x multi, uh, return on investment. Apparently, James Cameron is going to use some of that sweet, sweet participation money to try and get an Alita Battle Angel sequel made. So, hey, can't really complain about that. Now, if you compare the top grossing films uh, against these top profitable films, you're going to get some changes. For one, Smile actually didn't register at all internationally, meaning it did not make it to the top 10 uh, for international revenue, despite being the, one of the, the, the most profitable films here. Uh, Puss in Boots dropped to number 10, while Thor was number 8, this, uh, versus 8 and 9 respectively on the top grossing list. Batman was still number 7. Now, even if Jurassic World was the third highest grossing film worldwide, because it was mostly overseas revenue, it actually did not bring in as much to the studio, since the revenue sale rate with overseas, uh, stu- with overseas theaters is a little bit lower, um, so it dropped down to number 6 on this profitability list. Meanwhile, Minions being a lot cheaper, uh, outdid both Doctor Strange and Black Panther at number 3 because of its uh, budget. 
Now, in addition to the top 10 most profitable films, you also got uh, some of the uh, notable smaller films as well as the biggest flops. So, looking at the biggest flops, uh, from uh, from working our way up to the biggest flop, uh, Babylon uh, lost 87.4 million for the studio, cost 162.4 million, made only 75 million dollars. Uh, Devotion uh, cost 189.2 million dollars, uh, or lost 89.2 million, costing 158 million and making only 69 million. Uh, Lightyear uh, was a 106 million dollar loss, costing 373 million dollars to make and making only 267 million. Um, it barely, uh, barely did better than Amsterdam, which, despite costing only 171 million, and, uh, made only 63 million, so it had a 108.4 million loss. But the big boondoggle of the year is Strange World, costing a massive 317 million dollars all told, making only 120 million dollars for a nearly 200 197.4 million dollar loss for Disney. Crazy how they ended up having the three biggest flops of the year, uh, but that's more or less offset, I think, by uh, Avatar Way of Water, as well as all of the Marvel films in the top 10. Uh, looking at the smaller budget films, anything less than $25 million, the biggest winners here, uh, working our way up, uh, everything everywhere all at once, $32 million in profit uh, from a $79 million total cost, uh, um, you know, uh, $138.7 million at the box office, $36 to the studio, but also $75 million in other revenue streams for $111 million uh, total uh, revenue. Um, so, you know, 1.41x uh, um, return on investment, plus, you know, a couple of Oscars. Uh, next up, we have Scream, which made $56.7 million in profit. So this had a $126.3 million total cost. Now, it made nearly identical box office, and despite having the higher cost, um, it was able to actually get a higher share of the revenue, it made $63 million for Paramount, and another $120 million in other revenue for $183 million uh, revenue all told, so 1.45x uh, multiply uh, return on investment. Now, despite having the same box office, this is where you know we can't really tell the entire story from the box office. Even if the cost of everything everywhere was lower, um, because I, I would assume that um, everything everywhere, you know, A twenty four doesn't quite have as lucrative uh, participation deals with studios. Um, you know, the uh, the screen stu- the screen revenue from the one thirty seven was able to be you know a, a much more positive share uh, for screen for Paramount, and then they were also to leverage you know the relationships with the streaming platforms to get better deals on the revenue they're taking home from uh, the online sales as well. Um, so even if the cost was more, you know, if the revenue participation is better for the studio, which the bigger studios will have, that's how it's able to have a better box office share. Anyway, the Black Phone uh, is third, $67.8 million profit, cost $149 million, um, made box office of $161 million, $75 million of which went to the studio, $142 million in other revenue, which is pretty significant, actually, um, and that went to uh, $217 million total um, for 1.45x return on investment. Uh, where the Crawdads Sing made $123.3 million uh, in profit, um, you know, one forty million. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, oh, sorry. No, it, it made the six. Uh, it made a little bit more. It made um almost uh, 60, 60, uh, 68 million. Uh, one twenty three million cost. One hundred forty two million. One hundred forty million from the box office. Sixty eight to the studio. One thirty in other revenue for one ninety eight million revenue. One point six one x return on investment here. And then technically, Megan did release in twenty twenty two overseas late in December. So technically, this counts. Seventy eight point eight million dollars in profit. Um, one forty six point two million in cost. 176 million uh, in box office, 80 million in the studio, uh, but ma- a massive 145 million in other revenue for 225 million total in revenue. So 1.54x uh, return on investment. 
Uh, in any case, let's close out the show with some numbers for the last two weekends. We'll be a bit abbreviated about it since you know uh, it's a, it's a couple weeks removed from the firm from the weekend of April twenty first to the twenty third. Mario in its third weekend made fifty nine point nine million, a thirty five percent drop and a thirteen thousand per theater average. Evil Dead Rise debuted to twenty four point five million, a three thousand four hundred two theaters for a seven thousand uh, two hundred three per theater average. Guy which is the Covenant uh, opened uh, also six point three million in two thousand six hundred eleven theaters for a two thousand four hundred forty four per theater average. John Wick four five point eight million in week five uh, two thousand one hundred seventy six per theater average, and then John Dungeons and Dragons uh, hit five point five million in its fourth weekend and eighteen thousand uh, eight eight hundred and fifty eight per theater average. Outside of top five starts at Cavalier uh, debuted in a twelve hundred theaters for one point five million at twelve seventy three per theater average. Spirit of the Way. Uh, uh, away live on stage from Fathom Events uh, made 700,000 in a thousand theaters for about a 672 per theater average. Uh, somewhere in Queens from Woodside Attraction, 671,000 in 602 theaters, 1,115 per theater average. Bo is Afraid from A24 expanded to 965 theaters for 2.6 million or 2,759 per theater average. Avatar Way of the Water re expanded to 920 screens and Joyland expanded to 8 screens for 4,789 per theater average. Uh, moving to this past weekend, then April twenty ninth, uh, April twenty eighth through the thirtieth, Super Mario Movie fourth weekend, forty million dollars, thirty two percent drop, nine thousand seven hundred fourteen per theater average. So far, it's made four hundred ninety million domestically and over hit the billion dollar mark worldwide. Notably, they actually released it in Japanese in a few select theaters, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we have another billion dollar film as I predicted here earlier in the year. Uh, won a bet uh, in the in the Oscars Discord I'm in from someone who did not think it would get get there. Uh, in second place, Evil Dead Rise held on uh, 12.1 million in the second weekend, a 50% drop, uh, but not bad for horror. Uh, 3,550 per theater average, 44.3 million domestic, 89 million dollars worldwide. Not bad on an 89 on a 15 million dollar budget, which should be profitable at this point. Uh, Lionsgate, Are You There? Got It's Me, Margaret made 6.7 million in uh, for a per theater average of 2016, uh, 16, about a 30 million dollar budget. So I don't think this is going to be profitable in the end of the day. Um, in fourth place, we actually have a re-release, the 40th anniversary re-release of Return of the Jedi, uh, made with 5.1 million, made 5.1 million this weekend uh, in only 475 theaters for a massive 10,000 uh, per theater average. And then John Wick 4 in week 4 um, and it's week 6 made 5.8 million a 17% drop very good uh, 1961 per theater average 176 million domestic and hit that 400 million worldwide mark. Outside of the top 10, uh, we have Indian film uh, Pony and Selvan Part 2, making 3.8 million in 600 theaters, for, so a 6,000 per theater average. Uh, Sisu, which is like a Finnish John Wick, made 3.3 million in 1,000 theaters, so a 3,000 per theater average. Uh, Sony's big George Foreman movie made 2.9 million in 3,000 theaters, so a paltry 968 per theater average. Focus features uh, film Polite Society made 917,927 uh, theaters, so only about 882 per theater average unfortunately did not break out despite good reviews and then The Eight Mountains which was uh, the Italian film from Cannes last year was in only two theaters but made $33,000 for about a 16000 per theater average uh, looking at China real quick for the past couple of weekends, just want to mention that the Slam Dunk movie released in China uh, the weekend of the 21st. So far, it's made $75 million over there after two weekends. Suzume is currently at $113 million after five. Uh, this past weekend, we had a bunch of new films opening for the May Day holiday. Patriotic film Born to Fly about their Air Force made $44 million opening weekend, followed by Road Trip Godspeed. Um, um, uh, let's see, Romantic Comedy All These Years in third. Slam Dunk in number fourth. And then top five rounded out by legal drama The Procurator. 
in Japan, the 14th, on the 14th, the newest Detective Conan movie actually debuted. The Black Iron Submarine is open as the second highest three-day opening uh, in Japan for about 23.8 million, behind only Demon Slayer's 43.9 million. And then this past weekend was the Super Mario Bros. movie opening over the holiday week, the Golden Weekend, um, making 13.5 million, the 11th highest opening of all time over there, the biggest non-anime animated film since Frozen 2. Meanwhile, Suzume ended its Japanese run, but not before getting to $320 million worldwide. Overall, for the past two weekends, held together by Mario, the total has been $124 million and $99.9 million, respectively. This coming weekend, the big opener is, of course, Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, attacking is pretty mixed on this one. Sluggish pre-sales to start, so had looking it might not even get par- far past Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, but things picked up after good reviews, boosting it to about a hundred, uh, uh, the forecast to being about $120 million according to the deadline. For what it's worth, I think it will open over Quantumania, but I actually have a bet going on right now that it's not, with some Discord friends, it's not going to break the 120 million opening weekend. I think the lack for enthusiasm for Marvel will really hurt it, and it being a bit of a downer film, a little bit more serious, and, and a bit of sad, frankly, from what I've heard, uh, will put a damper on things, I think. Still, the Guardians are my favorite sub of the MCU, and I'd love to be wrong and see them pop off. In either case, uh, if I lose the bet uh, and my Guardians do well, I'm happy. Or I win the bet, uh, I end up having the stakes for this bet is having to watch the 1986 Howard the Duck movie. So if I can avoid that, uh, you know, that would also be great. Uh, anyways, next weekend will be the last episode for a while. We'll, of course, cover the Guardians news, and then we'll also, uh, it'll be the kickoff to the summer season, so we're going to go ahead and look at the next four months uh, of the box office to see what we have to look forward to. Um, and then after that, you know, I'm actually going to be going on vacation in Asia for the second half of May, so don't look for an episode until after Memorial Day weekend. But with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. You can tweet me ideas for those I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zemo.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review or at the very least tell a friend any of that helps. Links to all that will be in the show notes. Numbers you can also come from dnumbers.com. Into and out to from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at competentalmusic.io. Editing production by Ninsboy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. Remember, our watch goes on. Yeah.